Well, good morning, Grace Bible Church. I'm going to do a little furniture rearrangement here for just a second. I know many of you. I've, I've been, uh, had the privilege of serving here for, for quite some time, but I don't know all of you. And so just a little word of introduction. My name is Pat Coyle, and uh, my family grew up here at Grace Bible Church. And uh, uh, I moved away to San Antonio for several years, met my wife Jeannie there. And uh, we came back here to serve on staff at Grace in 1996. Three kids, Katie, David, and Lexi. My oldest is 15 now. It's amazing. Life flies by. I can't believe we've been here 16 years. But uh, I serve as your pastor of outreach and missions. And um, I uh, have the privilege, too, of serving over an area of ministries we call assimilation ministries. And that's kind of a big, scary word, especially if any of you are Star Trek fans. You know about assimilation, right? Yeah. It's an inside joke for us. Um, the idea, though, behind the assimilation ministries is just those ministries that help you find your way in, you know, to, to involvement, meaningful involvement here. So things like the membership class and, and uh, what the folks do in the Welcome Center out there. And, and then we also uh, offer a class on service called Discover Your Ministry. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute, but that's uh, about the spiritual gifts and, and all about service. So when the opportunity came up to, to share about the spiritual discipline of service, um, it was really exciting for me. And, and uh, I won't say it's easy because I could have just pulled out the, the Discover Your Ministry stuff, but I really wanted to, to approach it a little bit differently and, and dig in a little bit more with you into the, into the Word and into the Word service and the ideas of service. So hopefully, hopefully we'll be able to do that um, together this morning. Uh, I'll confess that talking about service as opposed to the other spiritual disciplines is, is kind of awkward for a pastor because when we're talking to you about prayer, we're talking to you about worship, uh, these kind of things, you know, it's, it's, it's the evaluation of that is, is kind of between you and God, right? Well, when we're talking about service, you know, we, your pastors, kind of, kind of see your involvement and your service here. And so, uh, you know, it can kind of, oh, you know, ease over into preachy and these kind of things. I, I hope we don't do that. I hope what you really uh, receive from our time in the Word this morning is, is just an excitement for what God has called us to. Uh, in terms of service and, and the fact that he's redeemed us in order to be uh, his servants and to be servants of, of one another. So um, as I began to dig into the, the topic and, and uh, uh, you know, look into it a little bit more deeply, I, I came across a story of a little guy named Alex. And Alex was uh, raised in his church, uh, not, not here at Grace Bible Church, but uh, uh, he, he was you know, brought to church every day with his family from the time he was a toddler. And, and uh, uh, so one, one morning, though, the pastor who knew Alex very well uh, noticed that Alex was in the, the lobby of the church staring at this display. And the display was a collection of photographs, framed photographs of sharply dressed young men and women and, and, a, and a flag on either side of this group of photographs. And Alex is standing there staring at it and the pastor notices he walks up, good morning, Alex. And Alex says, good morning, pastor. And the pastor lets the, the silence endure for, there, for just a minute there. He says, uh, well, what, what are you thinking about, Alex? He said, well, pastor, what is it? What is this? And the pastor says, well, Alex, these are the young men and women of our church who died in the service. And the pastor could see emotion come over Alex's face and his lip begin to quiver and just thinking it was a really profound moment. Uh, again, he kind of let the silence uh, hang there for a minute. And then the next words out of the quivering little lips was, Pastor, was it the 9.15 or the 11 o'clock service? <laughs> <laughs> Not quite what the pastor expected. And please, first of all, no disrespect intended for our young men and women who have given their lives in service to this country. Amen. But the uh, idea is very, very, very uh, clear that, that that term service, we use it in a lot of different ways. And, and it can cause confusion. And so uh, we're going to look into the term and we're going to look into the background and why it's a spiritual discipline and all these things. So, so we'll begin there. 
Why, why is service a spiritual discipline? How did it make it into this class of things we call spiritual disciplines? And I looked in the folks who've written the writings of the folks who've written about spiritual disciplines, and it seems kind of obvious, but every one of them go immediately to uh, Hebrews 9.14. And this idea that we were redeemed, we were uh, bought by the blood of Jesus Christ for a purpose, and that purpose is, is to serve God. And here's Hebrews 9.14. I always have to read this carefully because it has a lot of commas and things. But for if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who've been defiled, sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So this work of Christ in us, the redemption of us, what Christ has purchased with his blood in us is for the purpose of of our serving God. Okay, no argument there. I think everybody can can readily agree on that. Well, what do we, how do we serve God? What, what do you think of when you, when you think of serve God? Well, I, I kind of asked around a little bit. And I think for most folks, the idea of serving God kind of goes to sort of those vertical disciplines, the ones we've been talking about, like prayer and worship uh, and obedience. There's some, and, and kind of things between us and God. We serve God by getting to know God, spending time with God. And, and so they're very, these are very vertically oriented ideas and they're important. My goodness, we don't grow, we don't strengthen in our faith uh, in God if we're not sharpening those things and not, not seeking to serve him through those things. Now I'm going to take a step away from that in a minute with just a little illustration and we're going to come right back to it. This spring I had the privilege of going to the Holy Land with the, with the group from Grace. And if you know about the Holy Land, you know kind of on the eastern border there are some bodies of water that are very important. And the northernmost of those is the Sea of Galilee. And here's the Sea of Galilee in the springtime. I, pause, I apologize for the, the haziness of the picture there, but um, you can see that it's very beautiful, very fertile. And in the springtime, especially with the, the flowers on the hillsides and all, it's a beautiful place. And if you look into the Sea of Galilee, into the waters, you see clarity and life and, and beauty. The, the Sea of Galilee is fed by beautiful mountain springs and streams. We had the privilege of seeing the, the spring at, at Dan and this just beautiful gushing mountain water, clear, beautiful water flowing into the Sea of Galilee. And that's the source of this, of this beautiful water, living, beautiful sea, this, this lake. It's, it's just a, a living place. And the Sea of Galilee also has an outlet, okay? So the water flows out of the Sea of Galilee into the Jordan River. And the Jordan River flows down through the land, bringing that life and that vitality to the, to the parts of the land that it flows through. So the Sea of Galilee has both inflow, it receives you know, this, this enriching water, and it also has an outflow. So it stays constantly uh, refreshed and in, in motion. At the southern end of the Jordan River is another lake, another sea. And there it is, and it's called the Dead Sea because it's dead. It's a pretty, it's a pretty dismal place. And if you look, you see the barren land. And if you look into the water, uh, it's clear and everything, but it's so laden with minerals and so laden with the input that it receives, uh, and, and there's no outflow. And so the water sort of stops right there. It's the lowest place on earth. And I think this idea of, of, of a, living, uh, a living place having both inflow and outflow versus a dead place having only inflow is, is informative to our concept of service. And that is, yes, we serve God through these things, these things that make us closer to him, these things that flow into our lives and enrich us, but we are also redeemed to serve others. Okay, we were, we were, we were going to hit, hit on this several times this morning. We were, we were purchased by the blood of Christ in order to, to flow into the lives of others. That would include other believers, other people within the body of Christ. Galatians 5, 12, 13. For you were called to freedom, brethren, our freedom in Christ. But don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. 
For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, when Paul uh, speaks of one another, he's usually speaking, you know, of those within the body of Christ, how we treat one another. And so we're to love one another. We're to serve one another within the body of Christ. Through love, we are to serve. And then he also includes this neighbor as yourself. So I believe that that points us to the idea that we're to, we're to serve non-believers as well in, in the outflow uh, of, of our lives, this, this freshening outflow. And if you, if you have any doubt about that, I think Jesus gave us some really good illustrations. First of all, in John 4, we're not going to go there, but he, uh, he, went to the, he, he ministered to the Samaritan woman and then ultimately to this whole village that she came from. And in the context of the day, the Samaritans were the outsiders. They were outside the fold. And Jesus demonstrated service to those who were outside the fold, uh, ministry and service to them through the service to the Samaritan woman. And then in Luke 10 is the story of the, of the Good Samaritan where he's asked the question, who is my neighbor? And Jesus points again to the Samaritans, to the ones outside the fold. And in that case, the Samaritan is the hero. He's the servant. He's the, he's the neighbor. He reaches to the Jew who's outside his fold and, and, and ministers to him and binds up his wounds. So this idea in our context of, of ministering to those not only within the fold, but outside the fold is very central. So spiritual discipline, or sorry, service is a spiritual discipline because, because of these things. We're called as believers to serve God and to serve others, both believers and non-believers. So let's look briefly, we only have a little bit of time to do this, but look at the background and the terms. I talked about the terminology being a little confusing and, and the way that we translate uh, these various words into the English word service, I think informs us a little bit more behind, of the concept uh, behind the term. First of all, in the Old Testament, there was a Kohan or Kohain, which referred to the priesthood, the priestly service. And we do talk about in English service as being you know, part of, of, of worship and, and, uh, and the spiritual life. Of the people. Sabah is the military service. Again, that idea of little Alex and confusing the term of military service. And then Abad and Sharath were the, the ideas, the kind of the classic ideas of the slave and the servant. One being the, pay, the paid servant and the other being the servant or the slave who's unpaid, who serves as a slave. Okay, in the New Testament, some additional terms. Latruo, the hired servant, the one who's paid for his service. Duleuo, duleuo, that one's always hard for me to say. Bond servant, the doulos, the bond servant, uh, the, the one who is, who's, you know, who is a slave. And then diaconeo, okay? There's a, another English term that's very religious. We use it in the church, deacon, okay? That's, this is the, the term out of which the term deacon comes. And these were uh, the servant-hearted, basically. And uh, it was applied to the deacons uh, in the New Testament at that point where service was needed at the tables of the widows. And, and, the, and these men, these deacons, were appointed to, to serve, to meet the needs of the widows uh, through their service in order for the others in the church to fulfill, fulfill their roles as well. So all of these terms taken together uh, have the idea of subjection under someone else. Okay, so service is, is subjection under someone, someone else. And this, this, I think, comes from the idea for us uh, that we are not our own. Okay, we are under another. We are God's people. We are his servants, and we, we come under him as believers in Jesus Christ. The essential element in all of these things, in all of these terms, and in the term of service in general, is humility. Well, let's talk about humility for a second. I think it's something we all think we understand pretty well. Um, the easiest way, I think, to talk about humility is, is to talk about the opposite, to talk about what it's not. There's sort of a, a story in our, our family lore. My mom used to love to tell this story. Uh, my 15-year-old daughter is not here at this service, um, 
Okay, she is not any longer known by what she's going to say in this story. Okay, I promised her I wouldn't make her look bad if I told this story, but it takes place when she, my daughter, was about three and a half, and her cousin Andrew uh, was four and a half, and they were together at Christmas time. And Andrew had just received a collection of dinosaurs. I don't know if y'all remember the little dinosaur, plastic dinosaur. I'm seeing some heads nodding. The plastic dinosaurs, and there's like a, a little thing you put out on the ground, and there's the dinosaur scene. And Andrew had become quite an expert on dinosaurs. And he spoke with a little bit of a lisp at the time. And so uh, my mom overheard this conversation between Katie and Andrew. And, and Andrew uh, says, you know, hey, Katie, my dinosaur is a Tyrannothorthrex. And Katie says, well, my dinosaur is a hairy dinosaur. And Andrew pauses for a minute and says, no, 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 Katie. There is no such thing as a hairy dinosaur. Katie says, Andrew, I'm sorry, my dinosaur is a hairy dinosaur. And Andrew says, Katie, I know everything there is to know about dinosaurs. And there is no such thing as a hairy dinosaur. And Katie says, this is Andrew's first encounter with womanhood. (laughs) Well, I know all there is to know about everything. And my dinosaur is a hairy dinosaur. Is the end of the argument, you know, well... There, there, there's a great kind of a classic illustration of what humility is not, right? And I, I promise you that, that Katie has grown into a much more humble person and, and much more aware of her own limitations. But um, that, that's kind of what we think of in terms of pride and humility is just sort of, you know, elevating oneself. I want to look at it a little bit differently. And I went to Mr. Webster and I went to Webster's online. You know, I'm used to using the, um, the paper dictionary. Uh, but I decided to be, you know, technologically up to date. And so I went to Webster's online and, and I looked up humility and here it was. Okay, are you ready? Uh, the state of being humble. <laughs> really helpful. So I had to dig around and, you know, chase that definition and chase the next definition and, and put a few things together. So Mr. Webster and I together came up with a, a, a spirit of self-denying regard for the good benefit or wishes of another. Okay? Self-denying regard for the good of others. Putting others first. Okay? So that's where we're going to go right now. And Jesus put this idea uh, at the very center of life for us as he lived and as he taught. First, we're going to look at Jesus' instruction, and I want you to turn to Mark 10. Mark chapter 10, verse 35. James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said, grant that we may sit one on your right and one on your left in your glory. I know all there is to know about everything, right? Um, Jesus said to them, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism which, with which I'm baptized? So they said, we are able. Uh-oh. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you shall drink. So Jesus sees, you know, what's going to take place in their lives. And you shall be baptized with the baptism which I'm baptized. But to sit at my right and my left, this is not mine to mine to give, but it's for those for whom it has been prepared. Hearing this, the 10 become indignant. The other guys hear what's going on and they're kind of getting upset, right? So Jesus uh, calls the boys together. Okay, guys, let's talk about this in verse 42. You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. 
So Jesus is, is introducing here and in other places this radical new concept of leadership and firstness and, and servanthood and lastness and how those things fit together for his follower, okay? Now, there are a lot of examples in the news right now of firstness and lastness, all right? We've been, <laughs> we've been going through the Olympics and, and not to be too hard on athletes, but, uh, you know, athletes tend to exhibit the, the I know all there is to know about everything, okay? Hussein Bolt, uh, Usain Bolt, I'm not going to be too hard on him, but, you know, last night the quote was, uh, I am a legend, I have become a legend and if people that, you know, just, just not the, not the great example of humility, not the, you know, he did come in first, but where's this lastness? Where's this idea that Jesus, this brought to us? Well, there's another story for, from the Olympics this week that I, I really, really loved. And it's not a perfect illustration of this, but I think it's, it's, it's pretty vivid. And that's, if you, if you watched, you know, but the guy on the left is Oscar Pistorius and Oscar uh, is the first uh, double amputee to participate in the, uh, the non-Paralympics, the regular Olympic Games, okay? So he's running on the, they call him the blade runner. He's running on the blades. Uh, and um, the guy on the right, uh, Karani James, is from Grenada. Uh, this is at the end of a semifinal. And uh, in that semifinal, Oscar Pistorius came in last in this group, in this heat. And Karani James came in first, okay? Karani James had an excellent run. And he, you know, just blistered the, the rest of them. Oscar Pistorius happened to come in last. The first thing Karani James did when he crossed the line was turn around, go back, find Oscar Pistorius. I get emotional when I tell this story. And asked to trade the nameplates. So that Karani James went on his victory lap with Pistorius, the guy who'd come in last. And he gave his name, the guy who'd come in first, to the guy who'd come in last. Karani James went on to win the gold medal in this event and in the final, and, and I think the first gold medal for his country, Grenada. Again, not a perfect illustration, but this idea of, uh, this is the kind of thing, you know, when we talk about greatness, this, this is the kind of thing that, that as Christians especially, we want to be remembered for. Not, I'm a legend, but, uh, but, but this kind of attitude toward others. And so we're going we're gonna to unpack this some more. So Jesus gave instruction on this idea of firstness and lastness. The great shall be servant of all. He also gave the example. Turn over to John 13. He lived this example. John 13, verse 1. Before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray him. Okay, verse three, Jesus, knowing that the father had given all things into his hands, that he had come forth from God and was going back to God. Jesus in this position of strength, this understanding who he is as God in the flesh, got up from supper, laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. Okay, Jesus, the savior of the universe, God in the flesh takes on the uniform, literally of a, of a slave. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter and Peter said, Lord, do you wash my feet? No, no, Lord. You know, Peter's shocked at this idea. Now in the context uh, of the day, uh, they would have come to this dinner. Most of you have probably heard this. They would have come to this dinner uh, at a home and, and walked in and immediately there would have been a slave there, a servant there to wash the feet because the roads were dusty and they wore sandals and it was customary to have your feet cleaned by a slave uh, before the dinner. Well, in this case, the guys had gotten all the way to the table and this hadn't happened. And I imagine for some, you know, it was probably an unusual thing. Where's the servant uh, and, and the master? 
takes the role of servant very visibly. And if, if you doubt that was shocking, you just have to look at, at Peter's reaction there. So let's jump on down to verse 12 and see what Jesus says about this. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I have done? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. Truly I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is the one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. So Jesus, uh, again, taught about firstness and lastness, and to be greatest, you take the role of the servant. And Jesus, who was the greatest, took on the role of the servant and demonstrated that. Uh, But he goes further. Jesus goes further in in this example, right? Because he gave his life as a servant to us. And that gives us an example and and also an empowering to follow his example. So uh, we want to flip over to uh, Philippians 2. Philippians chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 3. Lance alluded to this as he prayed a while ago. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude, this mindset in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. We just saw it. Jesus the servant, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or to be held, to be held on too tightly. He emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, not only to humanity, not only to the low level of humanity, but by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, to a thief's low life death on a cross. That's what Jesus did on our behalf. And we are told by Paul in this passage to have that same attitude in ourselves. Willingness to give our lives in service to another. Yeah, that's, that's the Jesus standard. That's the standard that's there for us. Now, let me just pause for a second and talk about what Jesus did and how that applies to us. Because I know whenever we're gathered here, there are some folks, this whole idea of uh, salvation through Jesus Christ and depending on him is a new thing. And you can't really understand everything else we're talking about this morning in terms of servanthood if you don't first know him. And, and the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that, is that he did this. He humbled himself to the point of death for us so that he could die uh, for our sins. So he could take the penalty for our sins upon himself through his death and his resurrection and be victor over that sin and that death. So that simply by faith in him, by putting our trust in what he did for the sin problem that we have, not our own solutions, not our own good deeds, or our own church membership, not that, that's works, that's our own efforts and they're, and they're inadequate. But Jesus died so that we could, by faith in him, by dependence on what he did on the cross, have life eternal. John says in 1 John 5 that we may know that we have eternal life, but it's not only about eternal life in the future, it's about abundant life in the presence. It's about the power of God coming to live inside of us through his Holy Spirit. And he gives us gifts and he gives us empowering, he gives us enabling uh, through the Spirit to be the servant that we need to be. And we're going to get more into that in just a second. I keep referring ahead of myself. But um, if you don't know him through faith, if you have not come to that place where you go, you know, I can't be good enough. I've got to depend on Jesus. And, and by faith, depend on him. Put your trust in him, your reliance upon him for your salvation. That's what you need to do today. Don't worry about service, okay? That'll come later. 
But first and foremost, look at your relationship with God and understand that, that I can have my sins forgiven. I can have that abundant life in the present, that hope of eternal life, and that ability to serve others well, which is what we're talking about this morning. For you believers, there's the example. What Jesus taught, what Jesus did, especially what he did on the cross. Okay, so what is service? Let's, let's get down to it. Let me give you a, a suggested definition Service is action or ministry done for the benefit of others, the church and the world. I kind of picked up some of the things that we've been talking about and a few new things. Okay, service is with the right motives. Uh Uh-oh, wrong motives can can mess it up. Okay, with the right motives, by God's power. We've talked about that a little bit. We're going to unpack it some more. And this kind of service glorifies him. We get the the beauty and the benefit and the joy of glorifying God through our our lives. when we serve others with an other's orientation, with the right motives, and by God's power. So let's unpack the definition briefly. What are the right motives? Well, again, it's kind of easier to talk about the, what the wrong motives are and say, don't do that, you know. But uh, in one of the books on spiritual disciplines, if you've been enjoying this study this summer, uh, Whitney's book on the spiritual disciplines is a great resource. It goes a little bit deeper than we've been able to go in these messages. Whitney lists some right motives, and they're not rocket science. If you think about a right-hearted response towards God and all that he's done in our lives, uh, there's a, a, a right desire for obedience, a right desire to obey him, to follow him, gratitude, thankfulness, gladness, joyfulness. These are right motivations, forgiveness. And you know, uh, we've been forgiven greatly as I was just talking about through the gospel of Jesus Christ to extend that forgiveness to others who offended us is, uh, is a way of serving them. It's a blessing to others. Love, Remember Galatians 5.13 a moment ago, through love serve one another. That's the, that's the primary motivation for Christmas. Christians, the, the love that has been shown to us uh, by God, the unconditional love that has shown, been shown to us by God, we're able to extend to others. And then humility, there's that word again. It appears again and again and again when you're talking about service. So what about this, um, the wrong motivations? I mentioned a minute ago, it'd be easier to go first into the wrong motivations. What are some of the wrong motivations? We've looked at a list of right motivations. Uh, I think humility is a good one to bounce off of when you think about the wrong motivations because when we're serving others, anytime that our motivation turns from them to us in some way, you know, back on making, making me look good recognition, you know, uh, uh, it looks good. I, you know, I serve in order to, to be a legend, uh, as, as Suzanne Bolt said, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's our motives, you know, being twisted by the flesh and going off in the fleshly, the self-interested direction. Uh, some kind of spiritual points that we think by our behavior, we're going to earn more of God's favor. You know, in Christ, we could not have more of God's favor. Uh, our motivation to serve and to bless him and to bless others is, is out of these other things, not out of somehow making ourselves be better or seem better before him. Self-benefit. Anytime you're serving in order for that benefit to come back on yourself in some way. We can do that, we can do that in church. We can, we can, uh, we can serve really vigorously and, and kind of have the expectation because I've served so vigorously and so well that I'm going to get some kind of higher position or some kind of higher blessing or some kind of perk in the church. We don't, we don't want to serve out of these motivations because these motivations come back uh, on ourselves. We want to serve out of the right motivations, obedience, gratitude, gladness, forgiveness, love, and humility. We talked about the power of God in that definition, not my own power. Time doesn't permit me to go into all the detail. We're going to look at Romans 12 as we wrap up in just a second. But the, the most powerful, most significant uh, enablers that God has given us as believers in Jesus Christ are his spirit, uh, 
the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ alive and working in us and through us. So we don't have to produce service on our own efforts. We can produce it through God working through us, God himself working through us through the Holy Spirit. And then through the Spirit, we're provided spiritual gifts, manifestations, special enablings of the Holy Spirit in order to do service better by God's power. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing that he's done for us and he's given us. So I just encourage you to find out more. You know, we did look into the whole book of Romans and particularly Romans 12 is one of the great passages on these things, the right motivation, the right power behind your service. I encourage you to go back and revisit uh, that message. It's, it's online available for you. And then every semester we offer, as I mentioned at the beginning, a class called Discover Your Ministry. When you see that in the bulletin, if you're, if you're unfamiliar with your spiritual gifts, if you're unfamiliar with this idea of service through the power of God, please sign up for Discover Your Ministry. That, that's a place where we can go into much greater depth on what the spiritual gifts are and what your spiritual gifts might be so that you can uh, serve according to that enabling, that motivation, that provision of God for your service. So we've taken a, a, a larger definition and we've unpacked it a little bit. I think a simplified definition, if you want to walk away with something a little bit simpler, I hope this is simpler, joyfully offering up ourselves, joyfully offering up myself, make it personal by God's power, for the needs and the benefit of others. And I used joyfully there because I think it's a great word to encompass all of those right motivations. Uh, joy is very God-oriented and very others-oriented. It's not, it's not self-oriented. Joyfully offering up ourselves by God's power for the needs and the benefit of others. Well, I mentioned Romans 12. Let's go there as we wrap up. Romans 12 is one of about four passages that Paul gave us on uh, service in the body of Christ, utilizing our gifts, working together harmoniously. I think it's, it's, uh, it's a classic just because of the way it's laid out. And a little bit different from the message online that I referred to. I just want to hit on a few kind of main ideas or key ideas, but let's read it together first. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. There's our, our humility concept again. But to think so as to have a sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. There's the focus on God's provision. For just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. We, we serve best when we serve in the context of this, this interdependence of the body of Christ where we unite ourselves together in service. And Paul is calling that, uh, calling that illustration to mind of the body. We're going to unpack that again in just a second. Uh, for just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, he who teaches in his teaching, he who exhorts in his exhortation, gives with liberality, leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. These are uh, the spiritual gifts and Paul illustrates how when they're done through the power of the spirit, they can be even more than we could muster up in our own flesh. So some main ideas to kind of wrap up with from Romans 12. First of all, I put these in me terms, my terms, so you can hopefully uh, read them and apply them to yourself as we look, look through them. Put my body, myself, 
my physical being in, in, in subjection to God's work in my life. Okay, as a believer, what is God's work in your life? Well, first and foremost, it was the work of Christ that we already talked about, the salvation. One of the great verses on salvation that we look to all the time is Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So our salvation, as I said, is in dependence upon Christ, not our own works, and that guarantees our position before God, our forgiveness of sins, our eternity with him. A lot of people don't go on to verse 10. Four, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, this work of Christ in us, uh, created in Christ Jesus for good works, to serve others to do good works on behalf of others, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. The the work of God in our lives is not just about our fire insurance, you know, our our assurance of of getting out of hell and into heaven. The work of God in our lives is about, about that for the purpose of us living for others and bringing glory to him and being uh, shockingly uh, others oriented to this world. So others look and go, my goodness, those people are different. So Paul says, Uh, Present your body as a living and holy sacrifice. He's saying, put your body on the line. Put your whole self on the line for the service of others. Accept God's priorities and eliminate the world's competing distractions. Now that verse, um, verse two, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We often apply that in sort of like holy living, like don't have impure thoughts. Don't let your mind be filled with impure thoughts. And that's a great application. But the context is service in the body of Christ. So, so what are the ways that uh, we would be conformed to the world in our service? Well, we've been talking about that. When your motives drift and they become self-oriented, when you're not oriented towards others. So accepting God's priorities or, or not being conformed to the, to the world, renewing our minds is, is receiving what God's priorities are for service, essentially. And to do that, we have to eliminate what the world would distract us with. Now, we live in an age where there are plenty of distractions, okay? And some of these things, you know, we've elevated to a level of importance. I love all the commercials that are actually kind of poking fun at social networking now. And that, you know, my my reason for living is 14,566 friends out there who I've never met in the cyber world. You know, there there is kind of a ridiculousness to that. I apologize if I'm offending you and your concept of social networking. But but there, the information age, the internet, the computers, the things, the, the PDAs, the smartphones, the things constantly bombarding us with things, with information, with stuff to think about, stuff to distract us. So to uh, eliminate the world's competing distractions is to look at what we're spending our time on and evaluate the relative priority in terms of God's priorities and our priorities. Parents, we can uh, join, get our children to join an athletic team or some, some activity. And, and at first, it's all about uh, uh, getting out there in the community and meeting other families and, and serving our child. And it can be all very, very service-oriented. And, very, and then all of a sudden... We want our child to really be the best and really succeed. And so we start coaching, we start pushing. And all of a sudden it's back, it's back about me looking good because my athletic team, when I was five years old, didn't succeed. And so I want my child to succeed. You see how, the, you see how something that was good can become a distraction. So I, I encourage you, uh, one just great application. We're going to have some practical applications in a second. One great application out of this message is to take some quiet time and evaluate what you're spending your time on. You serve at work, yes, you serve when you're here gathered together, uh, but, but really outside of work, you know, our, our spare time, we don't have that much. And if we fill it with all kinds of distracting fluff, 
we're, we're preventing ourselves from engaging in the kind of service that God is calling us to. And when we engage in that kind of service, we feel this fulfillment and this fruitfulness and this engagement in the kingdom of God that is, that is deeply satisfying. And again, it's glorifying to him. It's ultimately, ultimately about serving him. Whew. Uh, <laughs> third point, with humility, evaluate God's provided strengths and others' needs. Okay, we've talked about this enough. With, it takes humility. It takes that self-denying elevation of others in order to both evaluate the strengths I'm operating in are not mine, but his. That takes humility. And the needs that I'm meeting are really others focused. That takes humility. And that's just rich in this passage. Okay. Cooperate in sync with my church body. He put us here, y'all. Not, there's a Baptist term, sit, soak, and sour. You ever heard that before? He didn't put us here to sit, soak, and sour. Okay, just to receive all this information and kind of become a dead sea and not have any outlet. He put us here to serve together, to serve together within this body, to serve together in, within this community and to serve together in the world. So first and foremost, I encourage you, if you're looking for a place of service, look for it in cooperation with one another. That's that whole body illustration that Paul was giving us. You know, where a foot is a part of the body. If a foot is cut off, it's a dead foot. But in cooperation with the body, it's alive and it fulfills the purpose that the body was given. That's what we're to be as parts of the body of Christ. Prioritize God's gifting in my chosen place of service. Learn about your spiritual gifts. Employ them. I think that's where our service is the richest is when we see God working through us. And in all these ways, we will see God glorified in our lives. Okay, so what about me and my life? Here we go. Right down to application. There are myriads of ways that you can sharpen your engagement in and with the spiritual discipline of service. Learn more about service and gifting. I've I've hit on that enough. There are opportunities to do that. Please join us. Please learn more. Okay, look around the church now for needs. This is not something that we really want to put off in our application, especially in the life, the timeline of Grace Bible Church right now. Let me give you some examples. The giveaway. Hundreds, thousands of international students are descending upon Bryan College Station in the next few weeks. Maybe there's some new international students here this morning. Are there any? Any new international students? Yeah, okay, there's a few. So, uh, we have this thing Brad mentioned at the beginning called the giveaway. We need help. We can't, we don't just need your stuff, and it's great when you donate the, the gently used items. Don't give us your junk, okay? Gently used items, and you bring those to us, and we make those available for free, no strings attached to, to international students, and we deliver it to their homes. No strings attached. A beautiful illustration of the grace of God. Undeserved, no strings attached. But we need help. We need labor too. So the bulletin has it. There's volunteer times, volunteer opportunities. It tells you, I think, to email Janine to let us know if you're coming. That's really helpful. We need to know who's coming. We need you. We need trucks. We need trailers. Come Saturday morning and you'll be blessed to actually interact with the international students. Stay all night. Friday night beforehand, and, and they do. The international students start coming about 8 p.m. the night before. Um, come in the weeks, on the days before, though. We need help. We need help just getting it all organized and arranged. The onslaught. That's my loving term for what's about to happen here in the next few weeks as tens of thousands of Aggies descend upon this place and thousands, really, literally thousands of new students here at Grace Bible Church. And you know, if you've been here any length of time at all, it all changes, it gets crazy, and we love it. The parking gets hard and, and, the, and the seating gets hard and we love it because it, it represents amazing opportunity to serve others. Well, 
as that occurs, we need help greeting folks out front. We need help in the Welcome Center. We need help in those assimilation ministries that I was talking about. I bet you they need help in the sound booth back there. Uh, you look around, and if there's something that, that tweaks an ability that you have that you can engage according to something you know how to do, please, please let us know. I put a little pad in the Welcome Center over there. Just go out the doors and to the left in the Welcome Center. If you want to sign up, some way to help in the next few weeks and get plugged in, just go give us your name and your info and something you're interested in doing, and, and we'll find a place for you. Children's ministry, constant needs. I stood up here a few weeks ago and did the welcome, and 555 was up there. That means help down in children's ministry, and often it's up there. Uh, nursery, Sunday school, all the different children's ministries, there's a constant need for help. The Aggies give us tremendous blessing in their help and their service and their engagement with us, but we who are here all the time, need to be involved in those ministries as well, uh, providing the foundation as, as the Aggies join us in service. Small group ministry. You're about to get the Get Connected uh, flyer in the bulletin in the next few weeks. Uh, the main way to, um, to plug in in a big group like this, you, you can't really have good church-like intimate fellowship and service with one another when you're sitting with about a thousand people. We have small groups so that you can be more connected in a more meaningful way. Lots of small group opportunities, adult Bible fellowships, new groups forming this fall, home churches that meet in homes on weeknights. Are you in one? Now, that's not really about service. That's more about you getting connected and you getting filled. But if you're in one, are you servant leading in one? Have you uh, stepped up to your group leader and said, you know what, I've been here a while. I'd like to be the advocate for our missionary, or I'd like to be the coordinator for our fellowship when our group gets together to fellowship with one another. Help share the burden of leadership by serving your group that you're involved in. Look for those opportunities. And then I'm not really focusing on the community this morning, although there are important and vital needs in the community. A lot of community agencies that we sponsor with, we enjoy the relationship, we work together with them. Uh, But I really wanted to focus for this time just within the body of Christ because there's this thing called the 20% rule. Have you heard of the 20% rule? It's the conventional wisdom that in a church, a typical church, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. That's a mess, okay? That's a tragedy. Uh, But it's sort of what's expected. I think that we really do pound at the door of the 20% rule at this church. But are we at 100%? Or some of us kind of laying back and, and what, are we, what are we laying back for? There are opportunities to serve today. And this is what God has called us to. This is part of the big picture of what he's called us to in order that we might through our lives bring glory to him. So uh, take some time this week. Take some time this morning. If you're, if you're feeling challenged and you want to say, yeah, I want to serve, please let us know. Uh, let us know this morning or with an email this week. Uh, jump in. And uh, as you think about those things, as, as you apply those things, as we wrap up, let me pray for us. Father, thanks, thanks for your word and that the challenge is clear and is beautiful and is strong. And I thank you that you don't challenge us to something that is, that is empty and laborious and hard, but you challenge us to a life that is fulfilling in your service. It may not always be easy. It may not always be perfect. But when we're engaged in what you're doing and we see your purpose and your spirit at work through our lives, we experience that abundant life that you promised. And I pray uh, for all of us that we would evaluate where we are, and where we're going, how we are engaged now and how we desire to become engaged in fulfilling uh, your kingdom purposes in this church and in our lives. Father, I pray that we would not walk away from here uh, without action if action needs to be taken in our lives, but you really challenge us uh, to go and to do and to follow you. So we offer ourselves and, and this time and our application of these things to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, God bless you all. Thanks for joining us this morning and we'll see you next week.